Born in Chicago, Bruce Geich was baptized into music at an early age. His dad was a musician and also owned a music store, where it was common to see up-and-coming stars of the Midwest music scene, such as Ted Nugent, Chicago, and the Buckinghams. As a musician, Bruce paid his dues in the Windy City and racked up more than 3,000 session gigs over the course of nine years. That's when he moved to L.A., and his career as a guitarist, producer, and writer exploded when his good friend from Chicago, Richard Marks, began to connect him to others. He then met Patrick Leonard, and together they wrote a track called La Isla Bonita for Madonna. He's fresh off a world tour with Peter Cetera and has worked with Chicago, Kansas, The Fix, Philip Bailey, and Tom Scott, just to name a few. He has several solo albums to his credit, including his most recent 2006 release, Sincerely. His successes are too many to mention, so we'll just dive right in and let Bruce tell you. Inside Music Cast welcomes Bruce Geich. Hey, Bruce, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, you know, um, first of all, like we said, thanks for being on Inside Music Cast, and we, you know, we should have had you on the show years ago. You've Absolutely. Been, you've been requested by, like Michael Ruff, we had on last time. We've gotten a ton of requests for him, but we've had a lot of requests for you as well. And uh, we know that also you've you've worked with a lot of the same. Uh, Guests, other guests that we've had on the show, so sure. that's that's kind of cool. You've, you're wrapping right into our show. It's a small world when you get down to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you get down to the music business, the people that are still in the business, there's it's it's quite small. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. And uh, you, you know, you've been on the road a lot lately, and uh, in fact, uh, you just finished uh, an interesting gig with Peter Cetera, and it took you to South America, and I believe even to Japan. Uh, um, but are you unpacked yet? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It was quite an interesting June and July. You know, going to South America because it was a last minute gig. Really? Yeah. They they called up Peter and they they said we really want you to come and and we want you you know in a couple of weeks. So we had to get all the you know visas and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was but it was a blast. It was really a blast. Yeah. How many times have you gone out with Peter in in the in the past? And uh... it's funny. Uh, we started in two thousand three. Yeah. In doing this, the thing that we're doing now, which is mainly we play with orchestras, mm-hmm, and it's right. an unplugged band with uh, you know, two guitars, a girl that sings the duets and plays percussion, and uh, and a pianist. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, lately, we've added uh, a bass player and a drummer, and it's t- to me, it's a lot more fun because yeah. we we really get to see, and and I'm reminded every gig what a great rock singer he is. Yeah. You know, because everybody thinks of him as this uh, ballad singer that does all these chick songs, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like Heineken Light commercial, you know. And, and it's, but he was in a rock band. Yeah. And they they were like an incredible rock band in the beginning. And sure. So it's really fun to stand on stage with him when it's really loud and really rocking. Yeah. And he's, and he gets better. Yeah. When it's rocking and when it's loud. He doesn't think so. Yeah. But he he does because he falls back into that, you know, sixties in, in Chicago playing yeah. in the rush up with uh, the early band. Yeah. So it's really fun. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I think people pigeonhole him as a is, you know, a a balladeer basically from the eighties. But yeah, you really have to go back. I mean, obviously in the days of Chicago, the you know, then Terry Kath was the was was looked upon as the lead singer of that band. But you know, Satera, all those guys, you know, Lamb, Satera, they all kind of took their share at, at, yeah, they, at lead vocalists. They had three lead singers, which which I love, you know, because you never were bored. Right. You know what I mean? Like like the Eagles had three lead singers. The, exactly. And, and they're they'll last forever because every song sounds a little different because whoever's singing it and the other guys sing harmony. 
Yeah. And uh, and Peter and Terry were the best of friends, and so the the two of them, you know that song Dialogue? Right. There's some live performances of that song that are astounding because, I mean, they're playing at the same time they're singing all that stuff. Right. And that blows me away because I can only play. I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I wanted to continue on this discussion about Peter Cetera, and just I'm curious to know, tell us a little bit about how you collaborated with him in the beginning. How did you meet Peter, and, and mm-hmm. where did that relationship take off? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, you know, because we're both from Chicago, but yeah. I, didn't, I didn't meet him until I lived in L.A., and in L.A., uh, I, w- I went out there with a friend of mine named uh, Patrick Leonard, who yeah. was... We were working together in the studios in Chicago, and we wrote some songs, and we went out to L.A., and all of a sudden, all those songs were on records, and so we moved out to L.A. And uh, he was producing uh, Peter's uh, record for Peter, and Peter couldn't – no, and and Pat had to go on the road with Madonna for three months, so Peter had three months off. And he had been approached by the Blonde and Abba to produce her next solo record. And so he says, well, I got three months off. Pat, what should I do? Should, should I do this? But I need somebody to help me. And Pat said, well, call Bruce. And so that's what he did. Yeah. Well, here, here comes my wife. Hi, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, honey. <laughs> yes, hi, honey. <laughs> Eddie and Rick say hi to <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> You really should have the camera on to see this. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's Janie right there, right? <laughs> so Peter called me out of the blue. I'd never talked to him before. He goes, hi, this is Peter Cetera. You want to go to Sweden? I said, yes. <laughs> and the next day he came over and we listened to 200 songs and picked 15. And the day after that, we went to Sweden. Wow. That's a wow. Cool. And, and we've been friends ever since because we really had a blast. And it was really a great way to get to know him, you know, just go do something so, immediately. Yeah, so limited rehearsal time. There was, well, there was no rehearsal. <laughs> it was me and him going over to play these demos for her. Yeah. And uh, the funny thing is she didn't like the demos, just like I didn't like the demos. Uh-huh. But Peter's got a really good ear. He can tell a good song th- through the demo. And so we're over there, and we play them for her, and she goes, oh, I really don't like any of these. And Peter's, like, ready to go home. And I grab my acoustic guitar and go into the kitchen with her while she's cooking my Swedish meatballs because I asked her. <laughs> and, and I played them for her and sang them to her. You know, just I said, they, we could make them really different. We can make them really special. They don't have to be like those recordings. And she went, oh, okay, let's do it. So luckily she did. And it was really a, a great experience to record. We recorded at David Foster's studio in Malibu. Okay. And, you know, I had JR playing drums and Steuben House playing bass. And, you know, it was just fantastic. It was really a blast. And it was a great record, and it did really well. Yeah. And ever since, Peter and I have been pals, and I've played on all of his records. And now he lives he lives about a half a mile to my right, and his <laughs> daughter lives about a half a mile to my left. And so he's <laughs> always going right by in front of the house, beeping <laughs> <laughs> well, all you guys from Chicago, the Midwest, you know, I, I was sort of uh, raised in Northwest Indiana, and and I remember up there, I always used to listen to uh, WLS radio. There was Larry, oh, yeah. There, there, yeah, there was Larry Lujak, Yvonne Daniels, and and back then it was the only station back there that had some some great rock music. But uh, tell me a little bit because you're sort of tied a little bit with WLS in a way with uh, your dad. Explain a little bit about that connection. Oh, well, that's funny because uh, that was way before any of those guys. Yeah, sure. Was on the WLS Barn Dance back in the 40s. Mm-hmm. 
the fifties, he played steel guitar in a country band called the Tumbling River Wranglers, <laughs> and it was pretty fascinating, you know, because he never talked about it. He owned a music store, and I worked with him, and and I see these pictures of him in a band. I go, Dad, what was how, what was that? He goes, Oh, it was the Tumbling River Wranglers. It was before your mom. we'll talk about it later then i guess okay i mean there were big people i mean gene autry at that day those days andy williams george goebel they used to come by this thing because uh, i read a little bit about this and and actually this barn dance was actually the precursor to the to the grand Ole opry back then and uh it was before everything and uh so that was that was pretty um it was amazing uh, yeah and the, the the people the the musicians behind it were just astounding musicians and I got to grow up, you know, hanging out with them at parties and stuff. And they'd get together and they'd start to play. And my dad would always make me play rhythm guitar for him. And it's it's where I learned how to do that kind of stuff. You mentioned that your dad had a music store. Yeah, tell, tell us was, about that. It was in Arlington Heights and in Chicago. He had two and uh, gave lessons, but he also sold guitars. And and since uh, the store was closed, I've talked to many people like Walt. Parasader and a bunch of the guys from Chicago mm-hmm. used to live near the store and they would go in and look at the guitars and wish someday they could have one like that. Mm-hmm. And the guy that wrote, um, oh, what was the musical? There was a musical written about high school and uh, let's see. Well, I can't remember the name of it right yeah. now. Yeah. But there was a very famous musical written and that, that guy too said, your dad owned that store? Oh man, I used to go in there all the time and wish I could buy one of those beautiful guitars off the display case. And I worked at the one in Arlington Heights all the time and uh, like people would come in and uh, who's the guy, uh, Catch Scratch Fever? Uh, Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent, yeah. Nugent would come in because he went to high school at a Catholic high school. I heard about that. If you can believe that. <laughs> he used to come over to the store after he let out of school, and he'd be showing me his arrows for his bow and arrow. <laughs> Back then, huh? And, and he was shooting, this is a titanium tip, man. I, I could shoot this through that engine block. <laughs> I'm going, what kind of strings do you want? I'll give them to you. Just go away. <laughs> that reminds me of that movie, Johnny Dangerously, where Joe Piscopo's character says, see this gun? It shoots through schools. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, this guy was nuts as a high school student. <laughs> he, he hasn't gotten any weirder. He's the same. Yeah. <laughs> but, we, you know, but there was a, there was a club in um, Heights where uh, his store was, and it was called The Cellar. Mm-hmm. And I saw Cream there, the Yardbirds with... Um, Who's the guy in Led Zeppelin, uh, the guitar player? Robert Plant and... What was his name? Jimmy Page. Jimmy oh, Page, yeah. Was yeah, in the Yardbirds then. Yes. Then, you know, I saw Jeff Beck there. And all these people played at this little club down the street from my dad's store, and almost all of them would stop by in the store to get strings. That's cool. You know, and chords and yeah. things that, you know. And I would lend my amp to the uh, guy in the shadows of night all the time because uh, <laughs> their amps blew up all of them. <laughs> It was, it was a funny way to get to know some of these guys. And uh, later on, like uh, Hawk Walensky, I don't know if you know who that mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. He wrote Ain't Nobody, and he was in Rufus. And, but he was in the shadows at the time, and that's how I got to know him. And when Pat and I went to L.A. to play him some songs in the 80s, 
that's how that was how he knew me was from the the early days at the store. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a great introduction, and and he listened to the songs, and he said, "I want them all. I want these for this artist, and these for this artist, and I want the two of you guys to come out here and do them with me." Wow. So it was like, okay, done. <laughs> yeah, <really>. <laughs> We're there. <laughs> Well, let's talk about you a little bit, and let's in, in staying on the topic of instruments. I, we were just curious to know, you know, how old you were when you picked up your first guitar, and, and what kind was it? What, what were you playing? I was eight, and uh, it was a handmade guitar that a guy, a, a builder, gave to my dad. It was built in 1905. It's this beautiful parlor guitar. Wow. It's a gorgeous little thing, and uh, that's what I learned on. Did you say you still have it? Oh yeah, I still have it. Wow. It's, it's a gorgeous little instrument. You know, you mentioned uh, uh, earlier today that I asked you to send me some photos of your collection of neat guitars. I, I hope that that's one of the photos you can take a picture oh, yeah, of. So it's one of the little ones. Uh, it's a small guitar, really old. Looking. Oh yeah, yeah. It sort of looks 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 like a mandolin or something. Twelve. Like, uh, uh, no, it's just it's. Uh, I'm trying to think what would this, you know, because they're all pretty. But yeah, they're all real pretty. Uh, heavily inlaid. It's got flowers on the bridge. That's how you'll notice it when you look. You know, sticking on that idea of when you picked up your first guitar, I'm just give us an idea of, of you know how your skills as a guitarist developed. You know, I'm curious to know about you know your education, your your, your mentors, and the people or artists that really influenced you in the way you play the instrument. Yeah, right. Oh, well, that's uh, you know, my dad taught me. Yeah. Taught me how to play. That's what I figured, but I didn't know if there was anybody else that. You well, know, back then it was you know when I was eight, I was learning with the Mel Bay method. Right, exactly. Right, Mel right. Bay. Mel Bay. Yep. Dad taught at his studio because he was friends with Mel Bay. And we'd go to these uh, these things, and I'd sit in a room with Mel Bay and, and um, Roy Smeck. Do you know who that is? No. no. He was huh. the guy that, I don't know if you remember, but in the beginning of the cartoon, uh, the Warner Brothers cartoons, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that guitar sound, that was Roy Smeck. He was... Uh, a recording studio guy back when they first invented sound recording. Right. Okay. And so, you know, I would hang out with my dad at, and Mel Bay and Roy Smeck and in would come guys like Chet Atkins and wow. all these incredible musicians would just be hanging around talking and joking and playing. And, and I'd just be sitting there going, that's what I want to do. I want to hang out with guys like this when I get old. <laughs> yeah. You know, because these guys don't never grow up. They're a blast. <laughs> and, uh, but I was eight and, uh, he taught me how to read music and it proved invaluable. It still is invaluable. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago and there were a million guitar players in Chicago. Yeah. But there weren't, there weren't very many rock guitar players that could read. Yeah. And so, in about, let's see, I'm trying to think when it was, but I, I went through high school, and, uh, oh, the day that I was deciding to go to Miami University, uh, Miami State, or whatever the one that was that had a great music department, yeah. Yeah. I was accepted there, and I was ready to go. Jim Peter had called me up that same day and said, hey, you want to uh, get in the band and make a record? And I went... <laughs> Okay, I could either go study about making records or go make a record. <laughs> and that was that was the end of the conversation. So uh, I never ended up going to, to music school, and I just just played. And, you know, my heroes were these guys, you know, of course, the Beatles when they came out. But when Jimi Hendrix came out, that, that, just, that just blew me away. I almost just said, well, I should be a plumber. Right. Because <laughs> I went and saw him in 1968, and I just went, okay. 
where did he, where did this guy come from? He he doesn't do anything normal. I mean, he's left-handed, and he you know there isn't one chord he plays that I know. And so it was really a mind blower. And but it was such a great time to grow up as a guitar player because there were all these heroes. You know, there was him. Yeah. I go see him. I went and saw Cream. I went and saw all these guys that are still you know the guys. Yeah, I got to see at the air at the age when I was like. I wanted to be them. Right. And then, you know, and I was in a band playing Peter Cetera songs <laughs> <laughs> on weekends. We were, you know, and I would have to do, <laughs> sing the high part because I was dumb enough to try. And, <laughs> and it was, it was really a great time to, to uh, be introduced to the real music world. Cool. So we did the thing with Peter and we did a record on Epic and it came out the same week as Boston's first record. Oh, okay. wow! And, and and we opened for Boston on tour. Really? <laughs> and so the first the first couple gigs were in these like little tiny theaters, four hundred seaters. Yeah. And you know we'd open for them, and then they'd come out and they'd do their thing. In a month's time, it was we were in stadiums, and they had sold four million records already. Holy cow! Which at the time was phenomenal. You know they were a phenomenon, and. They were the nicest guys, and they were so great. And I got to meet the guitar player, not Tom Schultz, but the other one, uh, Barry, uh, in Denver. No, not that. In Boston uh, in July, July 31st. We played with Peter in the band shell there, and and he was in the opening act for us. Holy so yeah. talk about strength. You know, it was 1975 mm-hmm. we opened for them in 2010. He opened for us. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's pretty bizarre. <laughs> but he, you know, they did a, a Boston medley at the end of their set. It's, he's in some new band. And he's just as good as he ever was. Yeah. yeah. Do you still, do you consider yourself a, a reader right now? What are your, uh, you know, some guys read charts and different types, you know, different types of notation for, for guitars. And how how uh, deep of a reader are you now? Do you classify yourself? Well, I like to practice classical still. Mm-hmm. That requires reading. And, uh, but the you know mostly in in session work you have a chord chart sure. and you're asked or there's nothing and you're just asked to create correct something. and uh, you know here in Nashville they have the number system mm-hmm. but uh, it's funny because most of the sessions I do here the the producers say uh, do you still read chords in music I go yeah I still read chords in music. <laughs> because this, this stuff is too difficult to write out in a chord chart you know uh, a number chart. Because you'd start to look like a math problem instead of a chord, <laughs> a musical chart. All right, exactly. You know, you know, one over three. Okay, that's a one third to me. Yeah. But anyhow, it's fun, and uh, I try to keep up on all that stuff. You know, Bruce, more than a guitarist, you're you've always been a uh, very proficient writer, and and uh, and having had many, many, many of your songs recorded by by the other other artists, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, your your collaborations. And so let's start out with Madonna. In working with her, <laughs> that's got to start off with Madonna, <laughs> because that's still the one that pays all the bills. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that too. <laughs> well, that was you know, I mean, that was a total fluke. Uh, really, when we moved to Pat and I moved to L.A. in '84, uh, I was, you know, I just was going out there because he had a bunch of things to do, and we had this thing to do together with Hawk, these records to do, mm-hmm. and then I was out there, and and Richard Marks was out there. So I glommed on to him and was in his bands. And he and I have been writing since he was 14. 
So it was a perfect opportunity for me to go out there. But what happened was Pat was working with uh, Michael Jackson on the Victory Tour okay. with the Jacksons. He was in, one of the keyboard players. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, Hawk, again, introduced us to the Fitzgerald Hartley Company. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, who are still big, a big management company. Sure. And really great guys. They could have screwed us back then, and they didn't. So I'll always say good things about them. They're good guys. Yeah, and they uh, so when Ma- Madonna made a movie with Rosanna Arquette, right, right, desperately seeking Susan, right, and so uh, she they were friends, and Madonna said, you know, I I got to put together a live band, and I don't want to do it with these New York guys. Uh, I think I should do it with some LA guys, and you have a management company that could introduce me to some, right? And Rosanna said, yeah, I mean, I'm dating everybody in Toto, so. You know, <laughs> So it'd be really easy. So, so what happened is the Madonna management called Fitz Hartley and said, okay, get together some musicians for Madonna to play live. Well, Fitz Hartley called all their guys, you know, David Page, James Newton Howard, Steve Picaro, all the keyboard guys, right. Hawk, and they all went, are you kidding? We don't want to play with that, that <laughs> chick that does those lame songs. And they called Pat, and Pat was when do you want me to be there? Holy cow. You know, and so we put together a band to rehearse with her and show her what it, how good a band could be. And it was Pat and I, uh, but the drummer was Jonathan Moffat and David Williams was the other guitar player. It was yeah. just like this incredible band. And she walked in, stuck her gum on the microphone, and we started. And she was just, okay, well, let's do this, except I need younger guitar players, she said. I'm sorry. And I went, that, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I didn't really want to go on the road six months with her. But it was really fun to meet her that way. And then she, Pat, really is a smart guy. He started writing with her right away. And so the first record Pat made as a producer was Madonna's True Blue record. Yeah. Okay. And he you know, wrote half of it with her. Not a bad way to start. Really? Yeah, it sold 23 million copies so far. <laughs> Anyhow, one day he says, I know it's a long story to get around to the writing of the song, but the, one day he called me up and said, hey, Bruce, I, I can't think of a bridge. I said, I'll be right there. You know, because this guy is one of the most creative people in the world. Right. He gets stuck on something. <laughs> he won't be stuck for long. So I went over there and he played me the song up to there. And I said, oh, well, it's got to be like this. And I sang him the next, the bridge. And he goes, perfect. We recorded it, and she, we sent it to her to, to do the lyrics, and she loved it. And she told me the title was La Isla Bonita, and I went, oh, great. That'll never be a hit. Nobody can even <laughs> pronounce it. <laughs> it shows you what I know. You know? <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's been, uh, it was number one in 24 countries. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's true. It was a big hit. And she, whenever she tours, she still plays it. Mm-hmm. Which is a really good thing because you get paid mm-hmm. writer when you play it in other countries. So, and isn't it, isn't it phenomenal? The just the impact of I mean, here we are talking about this one track, but the impact back then as to how many millions of plays per day this thing was happening globally. Oh my god! I mean, it, it can blow your mind as to I mean the real impact of of one song. Well, you know, and it's it's to- I'm totally blessed as a guy that I was home and I. And I, he lived five minutes from me, and I got over there, and it took five minutes to do it. And 
it's you know it's one of those things that never happens to anybody. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm a very I'm the luckiest man in the world is my title. That's and, <laughs> and that's where it started right there. That's cool. <laughs> Well, Bruce was uh, kind enough to send us a, a really cool version of the song La Isla Bonita, and this is uh, his acoustic version. So let's take a quick break and give it a listen. popular La Isla Bonita from today's guest Bruce Geich. You mentioned Richard Marks and tell us a little bit of, I mean you goes back so so far with him to Chicago. Well, you know, I one of the first producers in Chicago that hired me was his dad. 
because he, he knew I could read and play rock and roll. He was trying to update his song. His uh, Dick Marks was the jingle king back in the, in, you know, Snap, Crackle, Pop, all that oh, stuff. Oh, right, right, right. It's him, you know, and those, and those guys, I know the guys, you know, and the Jolly Green Giant. Oh, <laughs> we used to go to his house every Halloween. And it was, it was really a, a great time in Chicago getting to meet all these people that were making a fortune doing commercials. Right. You know? I wanted to be in a rock band, but it was it was really easy for ten years to lose myself in the three thousand sessions I did there. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it was like you know, as a musician working, it's like oh wow, you know, I'm making money as a musician. This is incredible. Right. Yeah. But I want to be in a rock band, so I'd always <laughs> I'd always try to keep a band going. And the the band I had with Pat was, you know, got really close a couple times, but. You know, we didn't have the time. We were all working too much. Yeah. So it took us moving to L.A. to get serious about all that stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I absolutely love the track you recorded with uh, Richard Marks on uh, your 1998 release called Nightingale. And this is actually a Richard Page song that was from his first solo release. And this is a track called Dependence. Thank you. 
I wanted to throw out one more band that you collaborated with, and, and it's it's ABBA. How did how did you collaborate with ABBA? No, oh, that was the uh, uh, Peter. When Peter called and said, "Let's go," uh, I needed a co-produce. Oh and yeah, get, yeah, yeah. And get to Falskog's okay next record, and and so we're over in Sweden, and she's a god over over there. Oh right, okay. I never really liked ABBA. Yeah, but she's fantastic. Yeah. And since I've met all the guys, the girls, and uh, and there's there's good reasons that they, uh, you know, the the there, there was there's some real talent and there's some real not talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were married. Yeah, I mean, amazing. Two married couples. I mean, yeah, about a disaster in the making. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! And you know, and they were all freaked out by how much money they were making, and they're still freaked out by how much money they make. You know, the that musical that they do. Yeah, that's them more money than they ever made before. A true, yeah. a, a true phenomenon in, in music, really, it is. Yeah, and they, you know, back back in their day, they were they made more money than Volvo did. Yeah. <laughs> they used to. I've heard a bunch of great stories. Uh, they used to have. <laughs> they used to get paid in gold in bullion because they couldn't trust the the money from Russia. Holy cow! Or a uh, oil tanker would pull up and say, "Where do you want us to put this?" <laughs> You know, because they they get paid in oil or whatever the country had. Yeah, to pay them. Amazing, pretty crazy. Yeah. We talked about Peter Cetera obviously being in Chicago, but you you also have a connection to the band Chicago. In fact, you know, I you know, read that you wrote a couple of songs that were included on their album Stone of Sisyphus, right? That's right. And tell that us, was, I was the guitar player on that record. Yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting to me because obviously Chicago is so deep with, you know, it's a big band. Obviously, there's a lot of players that cover the spectrum, you know, there. But tell us about your connection to the band and how they brought you in to collaborate. Well, I uh, I met Robert Lamb through Richard Marks. Richard Marks and Robert are, are pals. They used to play uh, racquetball in L.A. And so Robert and I started writing. And uh, we've written, I think, five songs. And every song has been recorded at least once. It's one of the few guys that I have a hundred percent, you know, cut cuts with. Uh-huh. But then I also met uh, Bill Champlin, right? And and Bill and I were still pals, and I, we work together as much as we can because he's just a genius, and I just love everything he does. And so it was funny. I was really good friends with two of the guys in the band, and uh, I had a song on uh, Chicago. See, 21, I think it was. Okay. And, and I knew the producer, Peter Wolf, really well. And so when they, they decided to go in and start rehearsing for the next record, um, Dwayne Brady was the guitar player okay. and in the band at the time. And he's an amazing guitar player. He's an even a more amazing singer. And I'm thinking to myself, what do they need me for? <laughs> they, got this, they got this genius there. Yeah. Well, it turns out. The, the genius wasn't appreciated by some of the guys whose daughters he was dating. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> Politics. Oh. Oh. Anyhow, so uh, I get out to this, you know, we'd go to rehearsals and Dwayne's sitting right next to me and he, he barely plays anything or he does nothing, you know, and I'm like, I got songs with Robert that we're submitting. I got songs with Bill we're submitting. And, and you know, and I'm having a blast playing with these guys. <laughs> Tristan Bowden's a great drummer. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and it's really, it was a, was a, a great fun thing. And it was the first time the band had been allowed to be produced by a, a musician. Okay. Peter Wolf is an incredible musician. Sure. And, mm-hmm. and he wanted 
them to go back to the days when they all wrote everything and they wrote it together and they played it together. So we go out to his studio and it, it was a total blast. You know, I would cook when I wasn't playing because we were going to be there for hours. And, you know, I would make pot roast and these guys hadn't had pot roast since they moved from Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and one of them would bring in, in a case of old style beer that they had shipped from Chicago. It was really, you know, it was really fun hang. And we, and we made it, I thought we made a great record. And when, yeah. when, when the record company heard it and went, uh, where's the Diane Warren song? You know? <laughs> right, exactly. It's, they just didn't get it. Yeah, we, and the we, fact that it did finally come out really made me happy. That's me. That's cool. Because it's got some of my best guitar playing. You know, you talked a little bit about your your writing and collaborating with all the guys together, but um, you know, for some for some artists, you know, writing is literally a. It's a really tough thing. Sometimes uh, so we've talked to some guys that uh, tell, told us that uh, it's part suffering and pain. And then for other guys, it's so easy, fluid, and it just comes out. What kind of a writer are you? Uh, if it's not easy, I don't do it. No? That's, I've learned that, that you know you have to trust in things being fun mm-hmm. and easy. And if you think everything is going to be painful, well, then it will be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just try, not, I try to avoid that at all costs. Mm-hmm. And because I've seen those kind of people, and I don't write with those people. Yeah, yeah. So, so what do you, yeah. one of them, you know, uh, at Richard Marx's house in the bathroom, right, where you can't miss it when you're in, doing your business in the bathroom. There's a big uh, framed uh, quote from Sting. Sting wrote him a letter because Richard had written him a letter about how great he thought he was. And Sting's thing was a, one of the things it said was, "I have to soon start putting pen to paper." Oh. What you know? What a chore! Oh my God! You know, because he, because he's known for being brilliant, so everything has to be brilliant. And, yeah, <laughs> and you know, so and he doesn't look forward to all the writing he has to do all the time. That's a shame to me. You know, somebody, especially somebody that that good. Yeah. So when you begin uh, your writing process and attempt to put pen to paper, where do you start with the the melody, the groove, the lyric? How how do you approach uh, new stuff? Well, it's usually with the guitar. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and it's usually like like something a guitar I haven't played for a while. Yeah. Pick it up and just something will come out. You know, as a as a guitar player, you know, you're supposed to practice, but as a writer, practicing is not good for your uh, creative juices, at least for me. Yeah. So, yeah. if I don't play for a month, the very first time I pick up a guitar, I have a tape recorder going yeah. because all, almost always something comes out. So what do you have working on this this week that you you haven't quite finished, but you have in the process? Play us a little bit, if you know. I have a, a group that I'm doing. I'm not sure what the name of it is yet, but it's a trumpet player, mm-hmm. myself, a fretless bass player, and a drummer. And we're doing... Coolest chords I could think of. And then it goes right back to Yeah. And with a cool muted trumpet playing the melody. It's just 
you know, mood music. It's yeah. I've never listened to people that say, well, you can't do that. If they say <laughs> you can't do that, then I just do it. Exactly. No, yeah. that's a cool groove. I rebellion guys. <laughs> I'm known for rock and roll and for pop and stuff, but man, the people that I really listen to nowadays are uh, pretty expanded musicians. Yeah. And, uh, and we just did this thing with Cimbello in, in Tokyo that was the hardest stuff I've ever played in my life. It was like a... Oh, I can't even play anymore. And the, the chords progressions were just... <laughs> that that is difficult. There's a pianist. There's you know, so I mean, it's it's really fun to have all these different types of music I love to play. Yeah, very cool, very cool. When, and it's when, fun to fun to, and they they all inspire me in different ways. Yeah, you know, when you do write songs, do you have a certain you know routine that you sort of, or even rituals that you sort of tend to go to or, or, or that are common when you sit down to write? Well, uh, what I used to do all the time. And I've almost stopped doing, but in LA, I, I had always had a studio yeah. and I'd go to the studio every day and try to write a song without a melody. Okay. And I called them, I called them kernels. They were waiting to be popped okay. Okay. by a singer. And then I'd give them to whatever singer I was working with at the time. And it really worked well. And, you know, because they would make up, they'd hear it would sound like a song without a melody. And so they'd start to sing a melody and then we'd work on the words together. And that used to be the way I worked. And nowadays, more, uh, I like to sit in a room with somebody and play, yep. you know, or I'll, I'll play a real, just a guitar idea and send it to somebody. Like uh, I sent Mark Jordan. I don't know if you know who that is. Yeah. The Canadian uh, genius. Sure. I sent him a couple things today and just to get him, you know, uh, just to get his opinion. And he was like, well, uh, if you're going to do a whole record like this, I got to sing on it. And I went, gotcha. That's, that's why I sent these things to you, you know, because uh, he's one of my favorite co-writers uh -huh. on the planet. Yeah. Because he just brings so much to the table, you know. And besides that voice, oh, my God. Right. Eddie's about to dive in and ask you a question about your band King of Hearts going back with Tommy Funderburg. But before that, I just wanted to point out something. Eddie doesn't know about this. I'm sitting here with my iPad mm -hmm. in the booth, and I just I just went into my face, our Inside Music Has Facebook page, and I, I just put it as our message, you know, currently in the studio recording an interview with Bruce Geich. Mm -hmm. And within, within seconds, I had four comments. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is from C.J. Vanston. Do you know C.J.? Oh, he's one of my favorite keyboard players in the planet. Yeah. yeah. He's got a question. He says, ask him about O'Hare Airport. <laughs> <laughs> or should I ask? Oh, yeah, really, should we ask? <laughs> well, let me just tell you, it was a lot of talent in that bathroom stall. Let's just say. <laughs> That's all I to say. Next question on Facebook, Rick? <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got some. I'll just read these comments and see if there's anything that sparks anything. A guy named Russ Fitzpatrick says uh, he does a great acoustic version of Sarah with Bill Champlin on Thoughtscape Sounds 97 Sampler. Wow. Are you yeah. not? Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. And then uh, Paul Erickson says, Peter Wolf and Paul Erickson say hi. 
Uh, well, Paul Erickson was the engineer for Stone of Sisyphus. There we go. <laughs> yeah, and he's a genius engineer, and he made that record sound like a like a million bucks. And then the record company sent it out to one of these guys. Uh, I don't know if it was Tom Lord Algie or Fred Lord Algie or John. You know, there was like 12 Lord Algies. They were all mixed. <laughs> like yeah. and, and they compressed the snot out of it and made it sound, they tried to make it sound like a pop record of that uh, time yeah. instead of like the ageless record uh, we made. And so Paul's, he's one of my favorite engineers there is. Oh, cool. Well, very cool. Well, that was cool that they just chimed in there, and we got to include that. So, yeah, now, absolutely. Eddie, and Peter Wolf. I mean, <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. <laughs> he hasn't produced any hits. <laughs> no, not at all. And he played piano with uh, Frank Zappa, and I mean, he's a genius. Yeah, very cool. He's a great guy and a really fun guy to hang out with too. Richard Marks in uh, introduced you to um, to Tommy Funderburg. Yeah. And uh, and you guys got together and subsequently uh, recorded an album, and it led to eight albums. Your group was called King of Hearts. Tommy's an mm-hmm. amazing vocalist. I mean, he he always I've always appreciated his work from airplay to the front uh, to whatever. But uh, tell us a little bit about uh, King of Hearts. That's a, that's a really neat collaboration. Well, you know, it was what happened was that Richard. First of all, I, you know, Richard is one of my main collaborators. I, I wrote with him from when. He, he was 14 until, well, we still every once in a while try to write something. Yeah. But he's the guy, him and Pat Leonard were the ones that made things happen for me in L.A. Because I wasn't just working with Pat on his projects, but right. I was also working with Richard on his projects. And it was just, you know, Richard was so great because he'd say, who should we get to play drums? And I'm like, well, we've never worked with Jeff Beccaro. <laughs> Next day, we'd be working with Jeff Beccaro. He, he, was, he was just he was wide open and looking for inspiration. And man, there was a lot of it to be had out there. But anyhow, one of the things we did was, uh, we did a record. Um, Richard's wife, Cynthia was in it. Okay. Uh, started with an A, uh, (laughs) but it (laughs) It wasn't ABBA, Rick. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But it was a, it was one of these bands that had had many different lead singers. And so Cynthia was singing in it for this one record. And so, Richard was hired to produce and Richard hired me to co-produce because he was out of town. Hmm. He was, you know, he was on the road. So he goes, oh, go in and do the track with, you know, get, get a band together. So I got uh, Michael and Marty in to play piano. I yeah. got Randy Jackson to play bass and I got Jonathan Moffat to play drums and I played guitar on the rhythm track. Okay. It, you know, it took one take because <laughs> these people were so amazing. And then we went in to do overdubs and, and Richard came back to do, to produce Cynthia's vocal. And then we realized we needed some background singers. And Richard's like, I, I, I don't want to do all the backgrounds. I'm tired of always doing all the backgrounds. Let's hire somebody. And I said, but we need somebody that sings really high. Well, the, uh, Foster told me about this guy, Funderburk. He sings really high. So we got Tommy. And I, I heard him sing. And I went, okay, what are you doing? Uh, he goes, nothing. What do you want to do? I said, let's do a band. Let's get together. And the very first song we wrote was called King of Hearts. We got the, I had a studio at the house and he came over and we wrote this song and recorded it. And I went, okay, now we need, let's get somebody to back this. And we, Richard Marx's manager was looking for a band, a new band at the time, somebody to open for Poco. Okay. Because mm-hmm. he had just got Poco back together. Okay. Yeah. And so, I said, well, I'll start calling people. And we had Timothy Schmidt, 
was the bass player, singer, and it was Tommy and myself, uh, and Kelly Kagi was the drummer, you know, from Night Ranger. Okay. And and then there was another guy named Chris Farron, who's who I love his voice, and and me. So it was we did some a few recordings, and the vocal sound was just terrifying. And so we all wrote songs. We you know, and what ended up happening was some you know. Uh, Timothy had a leave to go do the Eagles. Poor guy. And, uh, <laughs> and we got George Hawkins instead, who actually worked out to be, yeah, you know, a better bass player, sure. but but you know, less of a big name. And so we we ended up. It was a four piece band. It was uh, Chris had a leave, and so it was Tommy, Kelly, George, and I. Yes, and we made this record with David Cole producing, and CJ played keys on it. That's neat. And uh, and it was all set to come out on Chrysalis, and uh, at the time, things could drop in a minute. And what happened was the management decided they didn't want to do it. They didn't want us to open for Poco, and it just it never came out. Wow. So it was like, oh, all of that time and effort. So uh, what happened then is that I got introduced to some people in Japan, and so I, Tommy and I redid the record at my studio as more like a duo thing. Okay. And it came out in Japan and it did really well. And they, they, they wanted us to do another record and it came out, it came out in Sweden and Germany and everywhere, but the United States. Wow. And Botscape sounds decided to put it out in the, in the U S. So, yeah. Well guys, let's take a, a quick break and I want to take a listen to a track uh, from King of Hearts. This is from uh, your 1997 release called No Matter What and this is a song called In So Many Words.
And that was Bruce's band, King of Hearts, and uh, one of his songs from the uh, No Matter What album called So Many Words. All the people that I was in awe of in Chicago in the recording business, when we, you know, Pat Leonard and I, were, we'd, we'd get the new Tubes record and we'd go into the biggest studio we could find and turn it up all the way and go, that's what we want to do when we grow up. <laughs> and so we go out to L.A. and now we're writing with feet. And we're, you know, working with David Foster. We're working with these people. And I'm like going, okay, uh, this is the kind of stuff that doesn't happen to anybody. Yeah. But it happened to us. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm not complaining. I'm just, it's just uh, amazing. Fee Waybell, he's sort of a laid back guy, right? compared to Luke there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that, you get those two together. I, I don't know. Well, those two together. And, and we did a, a solo for Fee where... Uh, or did you know Pat? Uh, let's see, not Pat. Uh, Richard and I were sort of kind of like co-producing this thing. Uh, it's the one. Uh, Don't be scared by these hands. Okay. It was his last solo record that I can remember, and he had written a couple songs with Lukather. So we got Luke to come over to, to record the basic tracks, and we just did it with a click. He played everything. He played bass. He played the acoustic guitars. He played the pianos. He played the electric guitars. Each take was one take. It's like he had rehearsed for years, and he had, you know, he'd just gotten off the tour. Yeah. I mean, the, guy, the guy's such a genius. He yeah. played everything, and he goes, Bruce, what's wrong? I go, you're scaring me, Steve. <laughs> would you, God, would you slow down? I, I can't keep up. And he's like, ah, oh, relax. Everything's fine. And it was. I mean, he's just one of these genius guys. And, yeah. and Fee, compared to Luke, is an old man, a laid back, you know, sleepy guy, and you know, and he is not a sleepy guy. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the tubes lately, but Fee is just as good as ever. I saw the tubes probably about six years ago. They came through here, and uh, and it was a really small crowd. It just wasn't a very publicized concert. But man, they still went all out. And Fee is such an amazing showman, and just the costume changes. I mean, he he oh. goes he goes from a fully you know wearing the top hat and the, or that little. Carnival hat and that carnival getup that you see in the song uh, "She's a Beauty," you know the MTV video, and, and then he takes and, that, unzips it. And yeah, and he's practically like, naked at some points on stage. Yeah, <laughs> that's the good thing about you know he's got to be sixty years old, <laughs> and and the guy the guy has like no body fat. You know, I don't no. know what he does, but he, he's a uh, he's just a wonderful guy. He and I wrote a whole bunch of songs together, and I'm glad we got some of them on that record that yeah. we made. And, uh, He's just, he's such a delight to work with. So smart. But when they came through Nashville sometime last year, I went and saw him and I was blown away because, oh, and one of the highlights of my career was when we were doing a, uh, in Chicago, we were doing a benefit concert for Richard's father's foundation at Loyola University. Mm -hmm. And the band was Michael Thompson and I on guitar and Herman Matthews and CJ was playing keyboards and, the background singers were the best background singers in Chicago. And my wife, Janie, came along and Cynthia was singing and Richard was singing backgrounds. And we did She's a Beauty with Fee. Uh-huh. And I got to tell you, it was, the, the stage practically lifted off. Because <laughs> we were all so excited to be have something to do with that song yeah. and the real singer yep. or, you know, instead of a cover band. Here we are. We were the tubes for one song. <laughs> yeah. Man, it was awesome. <laughs> really awesome. Because that was, that was one of the songs that Pat and I listened to and went, someday we're going to be doing that. 
you know, so it was really nice to for full circle to happen back in Chicago, actually, to be doing that. Well, I want to jump ahead and talk quickly about some of your solo work. And it's, you know, Eddie and I have had a chance to really digest a lot of your solo work, you know, um, and, and it's it's really beautiful. A lot, a lot of, we, you know, we highly recommend all to all of our listeners to check it out. Go to uh, your site, I guess. It's, is it available on your site? I know it's on iTunes. Uh, it's iTunes, and I think... Uh, CD Baby, I think, has it. CD, CD Baby CD is Baby. Baby. Really, uh, that they're the ones that keep calling me for new more CDs. So that's <laughs> that's a good thing. Baby. But yeah. your your most recent recording, which actually goes back to I think 2006, is called Sincerely. Yeah, and it, it's more of a I guess you can say more of an acoustic album, and it's it's and it has kind of a quiet vibe to it. I mean, you have a harmonica player on that album, of course, the amazing Howard Levy. What what happened with that record was that you know I had met Matt McPherson, uh, who makes the McPherson guitars and when. Satara started doing his new shows with the yeah. orchestra. And Matt came along and said, if you guys will use these guitars live, I'll give them to you. Okay. And I picked it up and I went, this is the best guitar I've ever played in my life. Everything else I have stinks. You know? And a couple of years later, he calls up and says, we'd like you to make a record for our label. Because he has a la- had a label that was just putting out guitar records. And, and I said, well as long as I get to do it the way I want. And he goes, well, what, what do you mean? I said, well, your guitars sound so amazing. I want the guitar to be the biggest instrument on the recording. So that's why there's no piano, bass, or anything. Yeah, right. I wanted the guitar to be heard the way I hear it. And it's the first time I've ever recorded a guitar where I, it sounds like when you're playing it. And we mic'd it with five mics so that we captured the performance of the guitar. And then everything I overdubbed was smaller. Like a harmonica is really small. Yeah, it is. So you still hear the, the sonic qualities of the guitar. And um, I think it came out really great. And we even did a 5.1 mix of it. It has yet to be released. And I don't know if it ever will be. But I played the 5.1 for Matt, and he cried. He <laughs> wept. He goes, this is, um, this is unbelievable. I said, yeah, that's how good your guitars sound, man. Wow. So it's, it's, it's really great to meet somebody who's builds things with such passion mm-hmm. because we all get to play them then yeah. with passion you know you know one of, one of the tracks that i really love on this album sincerely is a track called swamp thing and uh, <laughs> i want to take a listen and then let's come back and we can chat more about it Thank you. 
You and Howard Levy are so tight on this track, and, and Levy, you know, him, he has such a distinct sound, and I don't remember which guests we had on the show that talked about the kind of harmonica he plays, but apparently he plays this particular harmonica, whatever whatever model it is. It's supposedly a very simple instrument yeah. with, with not as, you know, I, and it, apparently he, he's found a way to, to play it like no one has ever played it before. I, I'm trying to think of who that was, but in any but, case, what's that? Yeah, he, Howard Levy is one of a kind. Yeah, so he he plays these marine band harmonicas, which are blues harmonicas. Okay, they, right. They have a, they have a set scale. Right. But there, he's learned, and he gets them modified so that he can do it. But he's learned to make them chromatic. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just the way he plays it mm-hmm. with his he he's learned, and and he's a complete genius about it. You know, and I I sent him the the guitar tracks. I said, whatever you want to play play on these five songs. Wow. And I got back 85 tracks <laughs> harmonica. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> because he just loved it so yeah. much. And I got to tell you, it was really hard to decide. Oh, I know. bet. But luckily, he helped me. He said, well, this is the one I think is, you know, the most cohesive. You know? mm-hmm. And I'd listen to that one. I go, well, how could it be any better? And then I'd listen to some of the other ones. And I'd go, oh, no. No, I'm, I'm going to be listening for, to harmonica for months. But it, it, the guy is a total genius, in a, and you know he just absorbs the musical vibe that's going on and becomes part of, becomes one with it. Because there was no click on any of those things; it was just a guitar performance. Wow! And so he just played with it, and he's just such a great player that it worked like that. So yeah, and the swamp thing is a funny thing. It was uh, the titles. Each of the songs was titled after a woman that was important in my life, and something was one of those girls that. <laughs> Ooh, wow! I, shall remain nameless. Let's just say. I'm sure she's appreciative at this point. Whoever she is, well, she doesn't know who she is. Swamp, swamp thing. <laughs> I dated a swamp thing. Well, you know, and yeah, listen, the swamp thing, and it was not fun. Let's just say. Well, and listening to you know the. That whole album, sincerely. I mean, the the title is so appropriate. I mean, the whole album has you know a very sincere, honest, and you know it's it's kind of peaceful throughout, and, and has that peaceful sort of feel, and, and maybe you know even a little sentimental at times. You know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of got the feeling that when you know you were writing these tracks, you were, I don't know, I was just kind of putting myself in your shoes. You were really reflecting on you know like positive or, or reflective aspects of your, in your life. Is that the case? Oh yeah, it was. It was a very happy time. Yeah. And I'm a, a very lucky and very happy man. I have, uh, I'm I'm the mo- one of the most blessed people in the world. And the fact that this guy that made these guitars wanted me to do a record, <laughs> it's like, okay, what's wrong with this picture? Where, you know, when's it going to go bad? And it never did. Yeah. But the. There's some of the few songs that I still know by heart because I never wrote them down. I just practiced and practiced and practiced and then went in and played them. Yeah. Go ahead and play us a couple bars, what you had going right there. <laughs> that was, uh, let's see. Let's see. That's the lick that I couldn't believe Howard played with me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a guitar, you, oh. get the, you get the hammer on, you know, yeah. and he's like wailing it on a harmonica. 
It was almost it was almost as if he he was mimicking you. I mean, it was it was. Oh, he was playing it with me, but it's like, holy crap! How how many lips and how many tongues does the guy have? I know. <laughs> He's got a fourth tongue. I don't know. Well, that's funny you mentioned that because I saw he. But this goes back about seventeen or eighteen years ago. I saw Howard performing with Kenny Loggins. You know, back around ninety two or ninety three or ninety three mm-hmm. or ninety four, and that's how Kenny introduced him. He goes, "Ladies," he goes, "This is this is Howard Levy, the man with two tongues." <laughs> Kenny would say something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, Kenny is uh, quite a character. Let's just say that. Yeah. He didn't know how lucky he was to have that guy in the band. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, we were talking about Sincerely, which was your last solo project, which was released, like we said, in 2006. And I was going to ask you, you know, what's the what's your outlook for your next solo project? And, and do you have plans for another? Yeah, I'm working on it now. You're it's, working on it now? It's not really a, a, a so much a solo project, except that I'm writing the songs. Okay. Uh, but it's a it's the, it's the trumpet, fretless mm. bass, uh, myself and a, and a drummer yeah that's nice basically it's really intimate it's like it's almost like the miles davis uh yeah blue, the, the blue record it's because it's it's total vibe there's no it's not a lot of notes it's just really once once the music starts you get put in a place and then it continues to the so- end of the song Very and nice. uh, i really want to try and do that and the only singers on it are going to be uh Mark Jordan and uh, this friend of mine here, Joshua Payne, uh-huh. and uh, there, you know, maybe just a couple vocals, just so it doesn't get boring. But yeah, yeah. I want to try and I've, I've always done records that are so diverse in their musicality. I, I, I want to get, and I finally, I think, sincerely, I got one that is you can listen to all the way through it and go, okay, it's the same guy. And that's what I, I want to do. That from from now on, I want my records to be more cohesive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Bruce. You've uh, collaborated with your wife Janie, who's a musician and singer in her own right. But um, you know, you guys collaborated on a 2003 album uh, called One on One. And uh, how's yeah. it working with Janie? Tell us a little bit about her music, because she's uh, pretty neat stuff. She's recording some neat stuff out lately. Well, the uh, you know, I live with the most talented person I know, and I got a, and I know a lot of very talented people. But this this chick. It's it's astounding how good she is. She she's classically trained pianist uh-huh. for you know until she was seventeen, and then when she went to college, she switched to voice major because wow. playing the piano made her too nervous to you know play Chopin and stuff. Uh-huh. So then she gets her degree in you know in operatic performance, and then she goes out and starts playing jazz and goes on the road, uh, goes to New York for two years and does jazz in clubs, and then she goes on the road with Julian Iglesias for nine years singing oohs and ahs and <laughs> dancing and having a blast and getting to learn about the world. And now she's on the road with George Benson. Wow. So, you know, he doesn't go out all the time, but sure. when, when he does these shows with uh, the Nat King Cole uh, tribute concerts, she's the one that sings all the duets with him. And I got to tell you, it's the perfect gig for her, except for the ones that we're working on now, because she's got a new record that we've finally finished, uh, we did the strings here in the studio. We, you know, she does played the piano, she sings everything. Patatucci played bass. Yeah, cool. We got, it, we got it mixed by a guy in New York. And it's just this incredible record. And so now we just started today rehearsing her and I, so we have our parts down because each song has got so much tonal information. It's you know, 
uh, I'm going to have to soak my hand in ice water after every performance. <laughs> <laughs> but she's the most talented person I know and one of the most incredible singers there is. And there's this other project that I'm doing on and off with George Hawkins as the singer. We call it Cosmic Bubba right now. And, and Janie is the background singer. And we just finished uh, Unchain My Heart, a new version of that. And it's, it's astounding how she can sound like 20, like a, a gospel choir. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, there's, there's a lot of talent sitting around. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I uh, live with the talent. You know? Yeah. It inspires me every day. <laughs> well, you're going to have to keep us posted as to uh, this, some of these new projects you're working on and, and keep us updated. It's called Fallen for Brazil. There's a pre-release out right now. It was just for the, her fans in Japan. But it's, it doesn't include the three newest songs that are just, just amazing. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're going to get it out in Japan soon because they, she has a fan base there. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, we'll get it out here after that. But yeah, we'll keep you notified. Don't Very worry. cool. Yeah, and and for uh, listeners of the show, um, you know, to to find out more information about Bruce, check out his website at brucegeich dot com, and uh, of course, like you mentioned, your your music is at CD Baby and also uh, on iTunes as well. That's right. Well, very cool. Well, Bruce, thanks so much for spending time with us. We really enjoyed it. Thanks for laying down some licks for us too. We appreciate no, that. Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, thanks for calling and thanks for uh, doing the interview. We'll All keep, right, we'll keep in touch. It'll be my pleasure. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Bruce Geich for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Also, very special thanks to Inside Music Cast correspondents Scott Gross, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Max Zape, and Uwe Reith. And please visit our website at InsideMusicCast.com, where you can catch up on all of our past interviews, read the Inside Opinion blog, and check out additional bonus content. Inside Music Cast is also on Facebook, where you can become a fan and join in on music conversation with Inside Music Cast fans from around the world. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. <laughs>